Hi, lifers. This is Heather Drew, and this is the Life in the Whirlwind podcast. Today is episode 19, and I can't believe that. (laughs) I can't believe I've been doing this for 19 weeks. But here we are. I first want to tell you that today I was supposed to record this episode with my friend Chuck DeGroat, who was in town this weekend. We spoke at a conference together um, called Compassionate Caregivers, or Compassionate Contemplatives. It was a, uh, a conference for caregivers of any kind who are trying to pursue the contemplative life. And um, it was a great time. We had a lovely time. Uh, it was a nice, intimate, lovely crowd this weekend. But um, Chuck had to cancel because he was not feeling well. So for those of you who were hoping to hear from Chuck and me both this morning, I'm sorry that that is not going to happen. Maybe someday. He'll come back. We'll figure out how to patch him in somehow. Okay, so today I want to talk about, I, I last week's episode was really long, and I feel like I didn't steal time from you, but I do feel like I kind of owe you some time, so I'm going to make a make this a really short episode today. I hope you're okay with that. Um, I want to talk about returning to yourself and all that that entails, and The reason that I want to talk about this today is because this really came up a lot at the conference this weekend, and also it comes up in counseling almost every session to some, in some way, when I'm working with somebody, I find this coming up almost every single session in some way, like it's just, it's almost, even if it's between the lines or if it's a lingering question or if it's a fear, um, And that's not even just talking about the other person, the counselee, but sometimes I even notice um, it coming up in me during counseling when I'm counseling someone because I'm a human and things come up in me too. But um, here's what I mean by returning to self. What does it mean to you when I say your true self? There's a lot of literature and... um, really deep and rich reading resources on the true self, most of which is put out by, um, you know, people, a lot of Catholics, um, a lot of Franciscans put out a lot of good reading on this and kind of have to pay attention to it because it's very interesting stuff. And even if you don't agree with it fully, it's kind of something that is worthy of chewing on. And, um, I'll probably do a larger episode about that because that's something that's like foundational to finding life in the whirlwind, right? Um, In some ways, actually, I could argue even that life, which is, I've described this before in earlier episodes, but life in the whirlwind, the reason that this podcast is called life in the whirlwind is if you can picture like the eye of a hurricane, um, there's sort of this still point at the center and then there's these whirling winds that are destructive everywhere else. So sometimes you'll hear the calm before the storm. And sometimes that's because the still point is at you. It's, it's, you know, it's 
reached you, and then you know that everything after that is going to be wind. But that eye of that storm, this sort of still center, um, I've also called it the mountain, you know, this grounded space that doesn't move. It's stillness to some degree. It's uh, immovable, but it's also quite substantive. This is how I would describe the true self, um, the self that you are made to be. Now, unfortunately, many, many of us, if not all of us, have grown up or heard to some degree at some point in life that we are not good, that we, something about us is, is messed up. And um, for some of us, that's been more uh, traumatizing. And some for some of us, it's been... Um, more long-term and acute in its delivery system. But, uh, but I would say that regardless of who you are and where you've been and who you've been with, you have heard to some degree someone say there's something wrong with you and that you're bad. Um, so here's a perfect example in case you can't, you know, if you think that there's only extreme examples, here's an example. When somebody, I heard, um, I heard this said the other day, and um, I don't, you know, I'm not saying this to shame anyone, actually. I'm just pointing it out as an example of how easy this is. I've said this myself, I'm sure. Um, I, I really try not to say this to my children because I know it's damaged, but um, I heard someone, you know, this, I think a kid dropped something, and the parent said, what's wrong with you? And that's enough. You know, that's enough to make us question our goodness to some degree. You know, it's what's wrong with you. I've never heard anybody say what's, wow, what's right with you? You're great. <laughs> um, that's just kind of an awkward sense, actually. But so nobody should say that really. But um, it is interesting, right? It's kind of interesting to think about how these undertones of shame and uh, you are bad kind of lace them selves into our language with each other. And I do have a very, I have this like deep curiosity about why, um, I almost feel like sometimes there's this excitement that we get when we see someone fail. And I'm not, I'm just not sure what that's about. I want to, I want to explore it more here in this podcast as we proceed together. But I also, you know, I've read a lot of things on it. I've heard a lot of people speak about this. I've heard a lot of um, neurobiology scientists speak about this, and it's really interesting. But here's the, here's the thing. Peel away all the science. Peel away the technical terms, even the word shame. Peel all that away. And what are we left with? Our experience, right? We are left with what we've experienced and what we've known and I think all of us know this experience of feeling like we are born, you know, to use a very reformed Christian Protestant term, um, original sin. We are born in original sin, right? This is probably familiar to you, even if you aren't from the reformed tradition of Christianity. And I'm not saying that Reformed Christianity is bad, for those of you who are getting a little nervous. 
I'm not saying that because that would put me in the same exact position, wouldn't it? I would be shaming that. I'm actually not doing that. But um, what I am doing is I want to raise a question. Is, you know, the words original sin are not in the Bible anywhere. Um, Those words are not used together. Um, And I want to tell you just a quick thing about a chapter that I find very intriguing in the Bible that is very early on. It's the third chapter of the entire Bible, Genesis 3. And it's the story of the beginning of human beings as we know them, um, you know, homo sapiens. And um, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible besides this. Trust me, I understand that. I know the Bible very well. I was I memorized a ton of it when I was a little kid, you know, Sunday school and church and things like that. Um, I know the Bible. I, I actually love the Bible. Um, I find it to be very rich and beautiful and interesting, but I take it for what it is. I take it as a book of many genres, of many writers, and um, it seems to be the story of human development through the lens of God and um, the expansion of human development and consciousness. So um, it is what it is. And it also tells us a lot of things that are confusing and that we have to wrestle with. And that's part of being human. It shouldn't be all tidied up. It shouldn't be clear and easy to swallow, in my opinion. I think that's not going to serve us, really. Because to be in life is to be in the whirlwind, uh, to be alive, to be a human being made in the image of God, which you are, if you're listening to this. Um, to be all of those things means to struggle and to wrestle and to suffer. But that's a whole larger story. We're not going to talk about that today. But this term original sin, I would like to play with a different term for a second. Think about the phrase instead, original dignity. <clears throat> Excuse me. Original goodness. <coughs> I have my morning voice on. I'm. It's very early and I'm sitting in my soundproof basement recording this. <laughs> um, anyway, original dignity, original goodness. How do those phrases meet you? Do you find them hard to believe? Do you find them extremely refreshing? Do you have some combination of the two happening right now? Um, I think there's a definite, there's a probably a pretty realistic experience of how, you know, these things really do comfort us, but they also disquiet us. So, I want to talk about this for a second. I was reading a book recently. I actually am still reading it. It's called A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. And um, a really interesting book. I don't, I'm not going to talk about it right now because it's just, I don't want to take too much time, like I said. Um, But I want to read this one chapter to you. She talks, basically the the whole book talks about how we actually were made in original love, original goodness, original dignity, and then other stuff happens or gets added or whatever pretty much immediately. 
and um, this is the story of human beings, but that there's this core at which we are the way we were made. We were, we are the person who we were made to be and that that center is love and made by God. Um, so I've been thinking about this quite a bit, so I'm going to end, um, I'm going to end the invitation slash blessing part. I'm going to end with this Marianne Williamson quote, just as a little to wet your whistle here. Let's come back and talk about Genesis three for a second. A lot of people have heard of the book of Genesis. It's the beginning of the Bible. It's, um, you know, Genesis one and two are the, the stories of creation, according to those who follow Jesus and Yahweh. And, um, it's really poetic, whirling behavior, uh, language. It's gorgeous. It's poetry. It's beautiful. Um, especially chapter one is really great. But uh, in my opinion, chapter three comes along. Human beings are there. They're in this utopic, Edenic, literally, it's the first Eden, um, this perfect place where they get to enjoy each other they enjoy God and they enjoy nature and they enjoy being alive, what it means to be homo sapiens alive in the world. And it's all fresh and new, pretty much. I mean, you know, new in quotation marks. I'm not sure. Well, let's not talk about that on this podcast. Okay. Um, all that to say is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's utopic. And it's, um, there's a moment where, <clears throat> You know, so in, in chapter one, it says, God has made human beings, both man and woman, male and female, in his image. I've made them like me. They're like me. So at the heart center, they are me, basically. They're like little me's. And... um we know that it wasn't totally perfect, perfect the way we think about perfect. Like, I don't know how you envision perfection, but there's work in perfection. Even there's, um, there's sweat in perfection, uh, to some degree, I'm sure, because that's not a bad thing. Like, have you ever had trouble sleeping or something? And you're like, you know what, I'm going to start exercising. And so you work really hard outside, like on, you know, on a run or something. And then you go home and you just, fall asleep so much easier. There's something really good about that kind of work, right? So not all work is bad and not all work is toilsome and um, torturous or something. So they were in this place where work was actually enjoyable and they were sort of like protecting and um, tending things well and that brought them a lot of enjoyment. And they were in union. They were in union with each other. They were in union with themselves, their true selves. They were in union with God. They were in union with nature. Everything was unified. It was good. Like it even says in the Bible, it says, God looked at it, all that he had made, and called it good. And if anybody's allowed to say that something's good, I'm pretty sure it's the guy who made it, the person, who, the being who made it, and the all you know, omnipotent, uh, uh, all-knowing being who made it. I'm pretty sure he's allowed to say so. And it be true. 
So he looked around and said it was all good, except for the human beings. He looked at them and said, oh, no, they're not that great. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. That's the opposite. <laughs> just seeing if you were listening. Uh, he looked at human beings that he had created to be like him and said, the, they are very good. Not just good, but very good. When was the last time you looked in the mirror and not in a narcissistic way <laughs> said, wow, I am very good. It might be worth an experiment. <laughs> it might be worth trying. Maybe that'll come right to the invitation here. So here we are, Genesis 3. Everybody, homo sapiens are very good. God says, hey, don't. There's this, like, do whatever you, eat whatever you want. Do whatever you want. There's this tree at the center that I would like you to not eat from. Uh, trust me. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. So he says this, and they're like, okay done we're on it yep great and then they go do their human being thing they go do their enjoyment thing their unity thing and then at some point there's a moment where um, a serpent enters the picture and he and eve have this conversation eve is you know allegedly this this first woman right <clears throat> and so they're having a conversation near the tree that god said hey just don't eat from this one okay um, is called the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And um, we can speculate about why he asked them not to eat from this on another day. I don't really want to. That's not the point. But it's kind of interesting, right? It's kind of like there's a lot of thoughts about that. But here's the thing is that he said, hey, trust me, don't do this. And they were like, great, cool, cool. We won't. Got it. And then there's this deception moment where the serpent slithers up and Eve's thinking about this tree or maybe even not even thinking about this tree. And the snake says, the serpent says, um, are you going to eat from this tree? And again, I'm paraphrasing, sorry. Uh, are you going to eat from this tree? No, God said that we can't. And um, the serpent says, oh, no, 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 no. He knows that if you eat from this tree, you're going to be like him. That's why he doesn't want you to eat from it. So basically what he's implying is God doesn't want you to be like him. And so you should do it. Like he's pulling a fast one on you. He's being a shyster. Um, you know, he's trying to keep you out. So already in the world, homo sapiens are around and there's this moment in perfect unity in the Garden of Eden where there's this in and out dividing line, right? This do I belong or do I not belong? Already, like right off the bat, even in utopia. And my argument is this. So like then she eats the fruit and then Adam eats the fruit and then... They, they realize that they're naked and then they hide. And then the next thing, right after that, you see them hiding. And then <clears throat> right after that, you hear God saying, where are you? He's looking for them. So this is the way the third chapter of the Bible starts. <clears throat> People forget who they are. They forget that they're made good. 
they forget that they're made exactly how out of love like it's this still center right this true self enjoyment and unity with god and themselves and each other and they forget who they are and when they doubt it that's when they realize that their shame to be felt and that it exists in the air and then they feel it and then they hide so if this is what's happening in the very first part of the bible in the very first section of the record that Jews and Christians have and so many others have for the record of human development in history if the first reaction is to hide and to doubt who we are I'm pretty sure we're going to be fighting this for the rest of our known lives and that is I chose those words very carefully fighting we have to fight this because who you are actually made to be is that true center that you know made perfectly made of love made in love made in unity with yourself with others with god with everything that there is in existence and the the fight that we have is to not hide and not doubt that that's the fight that we're up against that's the battle that we're asked to fight in this world in this existence so <clears throat> i'm going to read you this marianne williamson quote i don't know how this is re- reaching you <coughs> i'm really sorry i'm coughing so much <coughs> i spoke a lot this weekend and then we had a big party at our house yesterday for my daughter my daughter's birthday so um anyway i just have no voice this morning i'm all talked out but um i want to just invite you here's the invitation for this week i want you to focus on this truth that you are good not just good but very very good and maybe you just focus your attention for the next, even if it's just the next 24 hours, but if you can go the whole week where you literally just focus on any time you feel that spark of shame or doubt that you are made perfectly and that you are made in love and in unity with God and you're just like him. Your core, it's just like him. Your true self, it's him. And it's connected to all the other little hymns out there. <laughs> and that's beautiful. And anyway, it's it's mysterious to, for sure, to say the least. It's so mysterious. But here's the thing, is if you don't try it, you won't experience it. If you don't tap into it, if you doubt it, um, you're not bad for doubting it. But there are definitely, it walks you down a different road. And if someone has explicitly told you in your day that you are bad that is all about them not about you i know that's easier for me to say than for you to believe i know it's easier for someone else to say to me and me not believe i can't it's really hard to believe but i've been kind of playing around with it and i'm starting to believe it and it's kind of changing my life 
except to remove the word kind of. It's completely changing my life. Uh, I live out of a center that I've never lived out of before. I live out of a stillness, an immovability uh, that I've never had or known before in my life. And so that's why I'm inviting you into this. Pay attention. Pay attention to the shame that comes up for you, the doubt, and try to tap, re-tap into the center, this beautiful center. I'm going to read, as your blessing today, I'm going to read you this Marianne Williamson quote. Um, This is from page 29 and 30 of her book, The Return to Love, A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. You are a child of God. You were created in a blinding flash of creativity, a primal thought when God extended himself in love. Everything you've added on since is useless. When Michelangelo was asked how he created a piece of sculpture, he answered that the statue already existed within the marble. God himself had created the Piete, David, Moses. Michelangelo's job, as he saw it, was to get rid of the excess marble that surrounded God's creation. So it is with you. The perfect you isn't something you need to create, because God already created it. The perfect you is the love within you. Your job is to allow the Holy Spirit to remove the fearful thinking that surrounds your perfect self, just as excess marble surrounded Michelangelo's perfect statues. To remember that you are part of God that you are loved and lovable, is not arrogant. It's actually humble. To think that you are anything else is arrogant, because it implies that you are something other than the creation of God. Love is changeless, and therefore so are you. Nothing that you have ever done or will ever do can mar your perfection in the eyes of God. You're deserving in his eyes because of what you are, not because of what you do. What you do or don't do is not what determines your essential value. Your growth, perhaps, but not your value. That's why God is totally approving and accepting of you exactly as you are. What's not to like? You were not created in sin. You were created in love. This, my friends, is life in the whirlwind.
Say